0: excellent good evening this is dave messina where i'm here with uh, dan oaks and uh just just behind one of those videos is uh blunty he's he's hanging out but he's uh he's feeling the uh the wrath of discord as i have felt <laughs> evening after evening after evening after evening with,
1: I forget- have changed. and who else
2: oh don't forget alex is here as well he's, Why he's did not you know on I? video oh. Yep, there's Alex. Yeah, okay. I just
1: turned on a video tonight. No problem. What's your excuse? Uh, you don't uh, have to have one. In a hotel room for IO. He's so racing. day the whole time. Oh, He's okay.
0: racing in the streets. Nice. Excellent. Welcome, Alex. He's, Alex is famous on Instagram. <laughs>
2: okay. So, Dave, so, what, are, um, what are the top topics that we're planning to talk about for our meeting? Well, I
0: did. Well, so we've got remote ID. We'll take that one right on the top of the uh, agenda. I I know that's uh, top of folks' minds. Uh, I did want to make sure that we we talk about uh, Flight Fest. And uh, there were three to four of the core team there in Ohio. And so my thanks to uh, uh, our members. Uh, We use the membership funds uh, for IT and travel and some equipment. And so that allowed us to be in one place, which is the first time uh, three and then four of us were together, and that was a uh, fantastic. And I, I think back to a senior uh, manager who I worked with in 1981, who said, "Messina, there is no replacement for being there," and that is so true. So it was uh, it was fantastic to not only be a flight test which we can chat a little bit uh, later uh, but my thanks to having uh, uh, four of the seven of us together physically uh, and so everyone knows we all, we get to when on the off week we do these town halls every other week on the off week we get together as a team uh, for a business meeting so we do see a lot of each other but uh, it's typically electronically
2: and Josh, um, who usually leads these meetings, is unavailable this week. Um, I don't see Rob either. I don't know if he's got one of his crazy excuses. No, uh, not crazy, but no, exciting no, he's got, excuses or not this week.
0: Not exciting, but he, it's, uh, it's important. So he's teaching, and uh, he'll be able to uh, dial in uh, a little later. Okay. Very good. Um, so... Remote ID Flight Fest, and then the 2023 FAA reauthorization. We've got some uh, updates on that. Some, uh, hopefully, some good good work by the AMA. We'll uh, we'll chat about that. So I don't think we have uh, consensus on that, uh, much like uh, remote, I- remote ID topics, but uh, we can get there. All um, right. Well, how the...
2: do you want to start on remote ID then?
0: <laughs> my my thought is I wanted to go through um, some issues. Uh, the activities and uh, accomplishments that we've done, and then a, a posit or uh, put you know, put forward uh, what uh, what the FPV position is now uh, to everyone on the on the call. We've not had an opportunity you know, to uh, go through uh, and create a single document. So among us, we really work to consensus. We try to listen to the community, uh, seek input and then gain consensus among uh, the seven of us before we put something out as uh, the FPVFC position. So we'll, we can get there and talk about it um, among us. The, um, he's making a
2: reference to a video game, probably. Uh, I think. <laughs> that's, that's my guess. <laughs> he's, he's being entertaining.
0: Okay. Uh, <clears> okay. <throat> Yeah, I'm probably uh, two generations out to understand the reference. Um, so the, uh, we wanted to quick go through what we feel are the uh, the issues. And we've seen uh, and looked at a ton of uh, Remote ID videos. Um, a number of them are posted uh, on our... Or the thumbnails are posted on our FAA Regulation channel in our Discord. And I, I've asked if uh, you post a video... And and you have the opportunity to watch the video. Could you uh, add in a couple of the the key points? What are the key issues that uh, the individuals are bringing out? What are the key ideas that they had? Uh, one of the videos that I watched was by uh, Super Deluxe, a team on the on the West Coast, and uh, uh, they brought forward a couple of good ideas. So one of which was, gosh, it would uh, you know they uh, feel that the FAA may. Uh, scapegoat uh, individuals and would be great if someone put together a uh, lawyer or legal defense fund uh, because we can anticipate that uh, someone is going to be dragged in they also had the premise that uh, remote ID will be solved in the US courts and not uh, on global YouTube so that was I thought yeah, uh, uh, insightful so if you have if you if you're posting up a video Uh, anywhere on any of our social media, please add a couple points, you know, um, not just a copy, oh, saw this, saw this video, yep, we saw it too, Um, but uh, what do you think, you know, what what made sense to you, what resonates with you? Uh, So to me, uh, and starting the list, is the, uh, the first issue is the, the location of the, of the uh, remote uh, pilot is uh, also part of remote ID message element, so Of course, uh, it's a static element with uh, a recreational remote ID. And if you're using a standard remote ID like a Nevada, uh, it's a dynamic. So if if you as the pilot or operator are moving around uh, with a standard remote ID, uh, it will sense your movement, and that will be part of the uh, remote ID element. With a recreational or broadcast module, Uh, it's static. It's the takeoff location, uh, but it's still, uh, unless you start moving, it's a good indication of where you are as the pilot. And um, Vic Moss uh, has taken this as a cause celeb, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, We've had a number of um, Part 107 pilots across the country assaulted, and uh, he's taken this to uh, the FAA numerous times. And Every conversation Vic has with the faa he brings this up we thank him for that um so that to us is a a, a serious um issue we know uh this it falls on deaf ears so far and we know that the answer coming from uh the faa is that this is because of uh, a dhs department of homeland security requirements um the issue is that um that uh, under the issues the secondary is that we really feel that there should be exceptions for fpv racing for uh, extended uh, video line of sight i'll define that in a minute and then shielded operations so e ev loss is something that we talked about in the beyond visual line of sight aviation rulemaking committee and uh, it is um, uh, Beyond visual line of sight, that it's common sense. So I can fly a Bando, and so momentarily my drone is not uh, in sight. I can fly behind a building uh, momentarily, and and that's not a problem. That is of course is. there any is, kind of
2: specific distance listed for EV loss? Or
0: we I. Um, I remember, yes, is the, is yeah, the short I thought, answer.
2: I thought they were sort of an agreed-upon distance, but that I'm sure that's up for debate. Uh, yes. Everybody yeah, has I'm a different to definition, but yeah, I thought I it was pretty two, far.
0: I think it was two miles, which was consistent with the um, Pathfinder report, which was 2.3 miles. So I think it's in that magnitude. It, it was much farther than uh, than we had uh, anticipated. Yeah. So if you think of
2: an... EV loss operation. So basically, if you're flying anywhere within two miles of yourself, don't consider that beyond your visual line of sight, that that's all should be visual line of sight rules. Right.
0: Now, in the, in the UK, they're changing uh, visual line of sight to be that you have to be able to recognize the orientation of the, of the drone. So it wouldn't surprise me if the FAA tries to adopt that. But it, that's not the yeah, case right now. We've definitely heard of FAA
2: employees feel that way.
0: Yes. Uh the, the third area. You guys
1: mind if I chime in on that real quick?
0: Please, please.
1: So, uh I was telling you guys last week I actually work in the commercial and R&D like scientific environment for drones and such. So I fly much bigger, heavier, longer range, etc. Uh and one of the rules actually for BV law stuff uh does do the same thing I believe is what you're saying the UK is is you do have to maintain that you can see the aircraft and may be able to at least make an educated guess of what orientation it's actually in. Yes. So I wouldn't be surprised if they bridge that gap over to the hobby side for BV law stuff in, in exactly like you guys are saying, uh, Great. to where you have to see that.
0: Yep. Yeah. There's and in fact, it is, um, a, um, part of the, uh, it's part of the safety guidelines that were, uh, uh it's written up in uh, Advisory Circular uh, 9157C, my favorite document, um, where they talk about orientation of, uh, and that was under night flight. But I mean, this is uh, this is getting to be a a thing, and we can we can sense a pattern. A
3: third area. Um, Go ahead, Greg. You also mentioned... Uh, so you said we want exceptions for FPV racing, which we feel should have its own carve-out because it's, yep. it's its own separate event. And hopefully we can get an event carve-out in general. I think we would like that as well. That sort of more goes on the Fria topic. But also, um, shielded operations, for people who don't know, Right, shielded operations is basically... Um, I don't know the exact definition, but basically I think about it like in the places where it's not obvious... That you would have aircraft flying. Like, if I'm in my backyard under the tree line, like, there shouldn't be aircraft present in that area. Or if I'm at the park under the tree line, right, there shouldn't be an aircraft there. And the idea should be that, that because that's shielded from, you know,
0: those aircraft, then that should be a place I can fly. Right? right. And that's a man-made or natural structure, so a tree or a building. And so the idea is that you would fly under the top of uh, that building, an equivalent uh, AGL or above ground level to the top of that building and then out a certain distance from uh, the building. The um, BB uh, loss uh, arc had a recommendation of what's ridiculous, was 50 feet. Maybe so 100, four,
2: but something mm-hmm. relatively close.
0: And then uh, in New Zealand, they have this as part of their rules and theirs is 400. So we think three 400 feet is a lot more sensible. Thanks, Bundy. No, no. Good catch. I'm yeah, and the, other, the other pass that definition.
3: The other unfortunate thing too is that was, so far we've seen sort of the response because we got the BVLOS uh, request for answer responses. I can't remember what it's called, but basically they put out the BVLOS document that had a bunch of questions in it for people, and it seemed like in part of that document there was uh, they were suggesting that you would still need detect and avoid, and so part of our Issue here for shielded operations. I think we wouldn't want to have to add specific hardware so that we have detect
0: and avoid for aircraft. Good point. Yeah, absolutely the the case. And it was the comments on the BV loss uh, document that was uh, okay due June fourteen, and we submitted comments on June twelve. Yep. Yes. Good. Alex, any uh, any uh, additions, comments, or edits?
2: Nope. Okay. And, uh, over on YouTube, XJET's just giving us the definition in New Zealand that it, for shielded operations, it's no higher than the tallest object and no more than 100 meters or 330-ish feet from that object. Great. So Great. You know, if we translated that to like no higher than the tallest object and no more than 400 feet, that's sort of what, what we've been advocating for. Right, right.
0: And Shielded Ops, as we mentioned two weeks ago, is uh, something that we've been pushing for two years and plus. And uh, it is um, part of uh, the uh, BV Loss recommendations. So we're seeing this more and more. And it was also part of a uh, an FAA uh, study out to five universities. So that's positive. Um, next item was uh, we support... Free of first and the issue here is that is the free of process the free of process is broken 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 um, uh, I had a good question today um, someone asked so you know what are you doing with you know how does it how do you handle a uh, an application so we're submitting applications um, we're telling the uh, the applicants uh, and uh, so as everyone uh, just to go over this uh, same subject Unless it's an educational institution, an application for a free and FAA recognized identification area has to be placed through a community-based organization. We're one of the four CBOs so we can submit applications. Um, The the process is not working in our view. Um, So we are um, working with the FAA. Uh, to try to resolve the uh, the myriad of issues in the process.
2: And one of those issues is that they're just outright rejecting a free application if it looks like it is like personal property in a residential area. They just say, "Nope, you can't have a backyard Fria. That's not an option. And we right. we don't think that's right.
0: right. Like for example, uh, one of the applications is a a uh, uh, backyard. Uh, but it happens to be five acres and happens to be uh, uh, owned by the uh, the head of a, uh, a, a multi-GP chapter and uh, plans to, the plans are to run multi-GP FPV racing at this location. Plenty of room. Not an issue. Not a noise issue. Uh, so we also know, and we do not have this confirmed, but we're pretty sure that the Programmatic Environmental Assessment FRIA, the uh, document that was uh, released in May, if I'm uh, getting my dates right, or it was, I think, April with a May 3 comment period, uh, uh, listed uh, uh, that, uh, that definition around, uh, around FRIA's.
2: Any, anything else,
0: Blunty yeah, or so Alex, on, on FRIA's? Just
2: continue that thought that... Um... With the FRIA free P, free a P-, a- P- a- gosh, I can't say that for whatever reason, but for those people who haven't been here uh, for all of our meetings, it's our belief that the FAA can't authorize or approve, do final approval of any FRIAs yet until that other document has its full 90-day period expired, and we think that's like mid-August or something. Then they can actually approve some of them. But before that, they can definitely reject things that they just outright know aren't aren't passing their, their requirements yet. So we don't know of anything that's approved, and it's not going to happen yet, but they definitely have rejected things for other reasons.
0: Right. And yeah, we're, we, we're nervous about the free PIA uh, P because, or P, because uh, if you have a new field, uh, it could possibly kick off an environmental impact study, which is extraordinarily expensive and long, long uh, time. Uh, well, uh, don't
2: you think you were, we're going to say it, something?
3: Yeah, so uh, basically the, the only exception to that is the free PEA has a section that if it's essentially something about if it's an existing flying site, that it can be, a, you know, basically because people have already been doing things there, you can ignore a large part of that process. And we don't know, right. uh, we're, assumingly from what we've seen and how we know these things have been done, We're assuming that it's been written as such so that the AMA can bypass their fields through this process. But we don't know necessarily how they'll apply this um, to every other situation, right? Right, yeah, it
2: depends on Uh, how you mm -hmm. read those words and exist someplace that people are currently flying. Okay, I'm currently flying in my backyard, so that counts as an existing flying site, right? Or (laughs) I'm sure the FAA won't see it that way.
3: Yeah, as with many of these other... Wordings in these bills and things uh, and rules—it's very vague, and is up to interpretation. Typically, uh, meat asked did the wording of the bill say it had to be non-residential? It did not say it had to be non-residential. The um, advisory
0: was... circular uh, did have uh, language in it that said that uh, uh, it, you know, this is you know, tended. You know, there there was a um, a weasel-worded uh, couple of uh, sentences that. That said that they would likely not approve a personal residence, and there was a uh, leaning toward a um, uh, an area that was used by a group. And so it was like, Whoa. yeah, so and that's and a reminder that
3: advisory circulars are not rulemaking documents. They're more of like right. a way for us to understand how they're interpreting and what they're recommending. Right. Um, it's not rulemaking, but because the wording is so vague originally, it becomes rulemaking in such that they're kind of telling us, like, here's how we're
0: going to judge these right. things because we have the room to judge them this way, you know? right? Okay. Yeah, that's and so we have mandates from Congress. Congress is the only body in this uh, country that can make laws. We have agencies that make rules. And the rules, uh, can uh, re- violation of a rule can result in a civil penalty, not a criminal. That's where laws come in. So we will try to make sure that our uh, language is consistent with that. So this was this came out of a rule, and then an uh, AC, and as uh, Justice Bluntie said, not a, not a rule. Okay. Then the next one, one, is, one. Go ahead.
1: Oh, one thing I wanted to add with Farias is as of now. There, I've had at least three frizz denied. One of which is the one we talked about. Uh, the other, one, another one was my backyard, which was expected to get a timeline on when the FA would start looking at it. So the FA is actively looking at it. Uh, another one was I don't remember what it was, but I think it was the same general issue of backyards. Oh, it was Joshua Barbaros. Yeah, and as being a backyard and not really being a community flying site. Uh, However, I do have two free applications that are under review and have not been denied yet, which I think is a good sign, at least, saying that those are more than likely to get approved because they haven't been denied yet through an automatic denial process that the FAA seems to have.
0: Right. And uh, you're making a great point, Alex, in terms of the the timeline to approval. When we first spoke with the FAA, they said, "Well, we have no uh, service level a level of agreement on how quickly we will handle these uh, applications, but we're hoping that it's within four months." Uh, it turns out it was closer to about six months before we heard uh, even the first peep, and there's still uh, a fair number of applications that uh, were submitted longer than six months ago and have had uh, absolutely no. Uh, no comment, no, no response. no hey, we got it. Hey, we're working. nothing It's so a part of the uh, part of the the broken
1: process Okay, I'm just reading a post. okay,
0: let me get back to this. All right, um thank you for jumping in, Alex and blunty um. Uh, one of the areas I did want to mention, and this uh, bridges to a later, later topic of the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act, is uh, broadcast remote ID is something we really don't like. We've been uh, working against it, but network remote ID is really bad, and we feel da- immediately damaging to recreational uh, UAS Uh, unmanned aircraft systems, uh, all drones, all RC aircraft, due to the cost. You have to carry another uh, cell phone uh, line or service in order to provide uh, network ID. Network remote ID is um, uh, mentioned as a requirement in the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2023, no fewer than five times. So there's uh, obviously a number of uh, organizations, uh, probably lobbies, probably companies, uh, that are pushing uh, for network remote ID, notably uh, with uh, un- as a uh, required technology for beyond visual line of sight, as well as unmanned traffic management. So, and just yeah. go ahead. Just to be clear, so we're talking about you know currently we're
3: talking about broadcast remote ID. That's what will be required on in September. Broadcast remote ID is a local broadcast, <clears throat> um, and then anybody with the app active or anybody with a listening station. can pick up that data, um, and then that data will be recorded about where you were and your serial number and your information. Network ID is essentially you need to have an active connection to a network. So that means like uh, a phone like 4G or active on a local Wi-Fi or something like that so that you are, are constantly broadcasting that remote ID information to a server, and then that server is sending back information um, you know, so, so that everybody yeah. knows where you're at actively and, across the world.
2: And a lot of that seems even worse if you have to talk to a server and get approval before you can even leave the ground, meaning you can't fly if you don't have good Wi-Fi coverage, good cell phone coverage, a strong data connection of some sort. And uh, obviously, a lot of the people who are pushing for this don't live in places like I do, where... You know, you you go out into the the nearest trails or hills and there's no cell phone signal. You have no way, unless you're going to carry like a Starlink satellite dish with you and wait for it to set up and connect, like you're you're not getting a network connection out there. And that's where a lot of people fly.
3: And for anybody who wasn't following this whole remote ID process, the original proposed the NPRM for remote ID included this uh, network remote ID. So we can see at least what we think they were going to do, right? Or what they plan to do and how they would lay it out. And what we saw before was exactly what Dan is describing, where you literally on your own property, five acres into your field, would still need to have some kind of network access remote ID to fly your drone legally. That was what the original rules were. Um,
2: And what else we saw in the... In the remote ID rules and stuff, there was a lot of um, network remote ID. You know, not yet, as in, <laughs> yeah. sure this this go around it's not there, but we're gonna still keep trying. And it's and like what we're seeing with this next reauthorization act, it's being pushed very hard, and we have to continuously fight against it.
3: Yeah, I'm not just, yeah, just to be clear, the original wording didn't say you had to, they had to do network remote ID. I think it was like network or broadcast. There was a
0: sort of an, an optional I thing it was like, the like hurt, an now. But... Correct. The first, uh, the NPRM was and. Uh, the proposal and, okay. from the um, uh, remote ID arc was or. The FAA changed that to an and. and okay. so. Great news that uh, from the NPR, um, Notice for Public Rulemaking document, to the final rule of remote ID, network got eliminated, and uh, the FAA went uh, exclusively with um, broadcast remote ID.
1: Got eliminated, gotcha. um, for I think they, now. Right, right, and I
3: think now. Oh, a, big, and it, a big concern here is also that the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act specifically calls out that network remote ID. And it's a you know it's it's naming it and it's saying this is you know what we need to move to. So I don't there's not more like you you know if you could think about it there's not like flex room there. Like they're going to have to
0: implement some form of a network remote ID if this goes through. Exactly. Yeah, that's the mandate to the FAA. It says network remote ID. So this is going to be an issue. And um, some of the discussion we've had initially on these uh, on this list of issues. Uh, this is an area certainly that we feel is uh, an intrusion on personal freedoms, and that, you know, so this is a step a step too far, and that is this being uh, network remote ID, and that is uh, uh, just as Blunty accurately pointed out. That's part of the future, not what we're not the today or not the September 16, 2023 issue, but something we anticipate will be added and is in the twenty twenty three FAA Reauthorization Act. As a mandate to the FAA. I guess oh, I, would, the, I would say remote okay. ID
2: itself is a step too far, but network remote ID is a whole nother level of stepping too far.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Du, du, du. Okay. Uh, okay. So those are the issues. Uh, Blunty, Alex, any comments or any additions on the issues? Or Dan, of course, I can I can see you. Uh, <laughs> so, so I apologize if it's if it's sounding like I'm not. Uh, querying you as well.
2: Um, I would just I throw out there really quick that I'm I'm also concerned that uh, even with broadcast remote ID, that there will be, at least in some locations, people recording that and sending it to the internet. So it's it's not the same as network remote ID where you can't fly if you don't have it, but the history of your flight could still easily be recorded for the world to see forever if you're somewhere where someone's tracking that information. Right.
0: Right, and a good analogy is, you know, if if someone were to say, that's impossible, that would never happen. Well, check out Search on FlightAware, and this is a really clever company. And uh, if you want to um, listen uh, and uh, monitor uh, ADS-B, where aircraft are in your area, uh, pick up an inexpensive setup for FlightAware, sign in, and that's exactly what they're doing is they're, uh, sniffing uh, all ADS-B, which is a broadcast from aircraft, and it's uh, their squawk of location, their identification, uh, where they're going, etc. cetera. And uh, you have that uh, for much more than uh, the much, much larger radius, like the entire country, instead of just a 25-mile radius of the trans- ADS-B transmitter. So it's happening today with other broadcast technology. Dan makes a, a very good point. Okay. Um, the second area I wanted to mention. and oh, did, so Did Alex uh,
2: have something he was going to jump in with?
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Alex didn't mean to stop. I, I was like jumping
1: I'd... in to say I didn't have anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
0: point of order. Point of order. I don't have any additional comments. Um. Uh, addition, uh, i just wanted to so the second area so i we mentioned we've discussed issues we've got um then i'd like to talk through um, the activities and accomplishments as well as and then third what's uh, what's the tentative or hypoth- uh, hypothetical set of uh, positions um so I, we won't belabor the point uh, uh the first ac- list of accomplishments and so we need to update it is on our website and we've been at this for four years and uh, we have gotten some uh, some changes made Um, and notably our involvement in remote ID um, uh, for from a full disclosure perspective is that um, uh, I'm a working member on the ASTM remote ID working group we meet uh, again tomorrow there's an FAA recommended change to the means of compliance uh, we worked. Uh, Dan and I sat on the Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee, uh, and uh, we are working with Flight Test on a uh, broadcast remote ID module. We remain all volunteer, uh, and we are a not for profit. So uh, we welcome any uh, um, any discussion on uh, how we how we operate and uh, how how we put forward. But there's a long list of accomplishments uh, on our website. Um, in addition uh, to those, uh, we will be evaluating remote ID modules that we can get a hold of. And we will not be doing exotic lab tests, but practical um, tests. Uh, how, how easy are they to set up? How big is it? How much does it weigh? We can probably measure uh, the power draw. Um, what's the physical size? What's the, what are the antenna requirements, et cetera? And uh, then run some uh, practical Um, external uh, tests for example uh, Alex is asking for several uh, modules Uh, each time we evaluate a uh, a remote remote ID broadcast module so they can put them in a race so what's the interference uh, if you if we do have to have a broadcast remote ID module for a racer are they interfering with other racers in as much as they're flying in very close proximity?
2: Yeah. What happens if you get eight people flying around a race course at the same time? Everybody's got remote ID. Is it going to cause unthought, you know, just unexpected issues with transmitters, or <laughs> what's it going to look like for the remote ID receiver? Is that even going to work? Yeah. Who knows? But uh, we'll right. see what it does.
0: We're also uh, uh, will uh, continue to push on things like uh, extended visual line of sight. Shielded operations. Uh, We will continue to push the one kilogram lower bound for registration uh, and manufacturing requirements. That went uh, nowhere uh, in the uh, uh, FAA Reauthorization Act, unfortunately. Uh, And we uh, will participate in recreational events to ensure we're listening to um, the community. And uh, we will also... As we'll, we can mention, or hopefully we'll remember to mention, uh, we had the opportunity to invite and host a senior FAA executive to Flight Fest. So uh, uh, Rob Robertson and I spent most of Friday uh, escorting uh, Rob Lowe around uh, Flight Fest. And uh, it was a privilege. And uh, so Rob is a, a guy who's responsible for one of the nine regions in the FAA, so not involved in uh, unmanned um, aircraft systems, but uh, has it has everyone in Region Nine, which is the five states uh, around Texas. Uh, if you work for the FAA, you work for Rob Lowe. So this is a uh, uh, an individual with uh, over 30 years experience uh, in the FAA and uh, uh, good good insight. And we uh, Rob was able to put a set of uh, uh, goggles on him and uh, very positive so and not only does he our... work
2: for the faa right he's a model aviation pilot and has been for a long time and
0: over over uh, 40 years experience being an rc pilot so it was completely at home uh, at flight fest Absolutely. and even though had...
2: he doesn't oversee anything related to drones and drone regulation he's still a good friend to have in the faa
0: knows a lot of folks, and uh, so he's also uh, a very uh, big in FAA STEM, which is important to us. Okay, so those are our activities and accomplishments. Uh, Blunty, Alex, anything I missed or you wanted to add?
3: No, I just want to be super clear, though. Uh, for people, if you want to know what we're doing and we're not clear enough or, you know, for, you know, whatever you want to know what's going on or you want to ask us what we're doing about a topic or you want to ask why we're not commenting on this or, you know, there's whatever you want to do. Just, just, I just want to be clear, you know, we're super open. Um, you can email any of us, um, you know, all our emails are on the, on the website or you can contact me at any of my, uh, places as well on discord or somewhere. You can email us at org with our names. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure everybody knows that, uh, yeah, the info's there for you if you'd like it.
0: Welcome, Rob. And huh? you're muted somehow muted. Let's see, let's see if you we can get that uh, audio working it Rob. doesn't
2: look like he's actually muted in discord, but nothing's okay. coming through. All right. It's all right. you've got twenty more minutes to see if you can get it working
0: so the the fpv uh, <laughs> FC position uh, then is uh, so you know where do where you know what do we think is uh, uh, critically important? Uh, first, the philosophy of first and so by that what we mean is the FAA has estimated that they that there is a need for approximately four thousand FRIAs. our estimate is it's closer to seventy nine thousand so if you have uh, one uh, FRIA for 20 um, UAS operators that equals seventy nine thousand so we have a a big difference in uh, uh, what the estimate is and that's uh, uh, that's something we'll be working on. But the idea is that we would like people to fly in Freas, and if that doesn't work, uh, then we would be suggesting uh, the use of a remote ID broadcast module to be compliant. We also suggest to be aware of the regulations. For example, I was chatting with uh, at Flight Fest a, a commercial pilot, and. Uh, flies uh, small airlines for, uh, for a living. And if he uh, gets a violation on his Part 107 or something to do with 44809 recreational, that can impact. The FAA can pull his airline pilot certificate. So being aware of the regulations, is we feel, is important. Uh, it's your choice whether you choose to comply or not. Um, our, our view is we want to make it as simple as possible to uh, comply. And also educate you on what what the what the facts are uh, in uh, not only the regulations, but from everything we know in terms of uh, enforcement, uh, as and those are enforcement actions as well as uh, civil violation costs. Um, just to just to throw in there real quick. Um,
3: also, as far as be aware of regulations, if you want to know why a regulation is a regulation or where did it come from or, where you know, what's the wording in the law? Is there room for stuff? Why like 250
2: that's all, grams?
3: If that stuff's all good conversation to have. And if we don't have resources on it that we can point you to, we're happy to explain why and add those resources to our website if it's deemed appropriate or whatever. You know what I mean? I just want to make sure people are aware that we're like... You know, super open to doing stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, we, we would encourage more communication like that if you guys are interested.
2: Yeah, the whole Excellent. reason FPV Freedom Coalition got started is a group of us all got together uh, and openly decided we needed to start working together and uh, push the FAA in the right direction. Um, we haven't been as successful as we wanted to, but, you know, we're, we're happy to be completely open about what we're trying to do.
0: The fourth uh, position is that, uh, this one has me very concerned, and that is that uh, we, we will fight network remote ID at every opportunity. Uh, and as I mentioned, there are multiple uh, mentions of it in the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2023, which is a good segue to the Reauthorization Act of 2023. Uh, the AMA has a, a blog post out, and so the fourth uh, community based organization has been working closely with Congress. And they have um, worked with several, I think they're I think they're representative, House Representatives. Uh, there's an amendment out there. Uh, we We have the link. We can put it up. And in fact, that i I, I'm, I know it was already up uh, in this yeah in this channel uh, on Discord. Um, but they're asking for uh, folks to write in to their, congressional represent- representatives and senators, uh, and in particular, if your congressional representative or senators are members of either of the aviation subcommittee, this is really important. Um, the, the, uh, some of the highlights of, the, uh, uh, of that, the amendment that they've included is a big one to me, which is that areas uh, can be self-declared by a CBO. So that, that says that all the things that I was whining and complaining about in the FRIA process, we could take that on and start approving Frias. That's great. So what has to be done for us to get there? Well, the bill has to go, the amendment has to be incorporated into the bill that gets passed, and I'm pretty sure it's the House. Then the Senate needs to pass their bill. Then the House and the Senate get together in conference because it's a bicarmel bill. They have to agree and adjudicate any uh, uh, differences on a bill. And then the single bill coming out of that conference goes back to each chamber. They vote on it again, assuming approval, goes to the president for his signature. That becomes law. Then that mandate or the uh, FAA Reauthorization Act of 2023 goes to the FAA. How long do we think the FAA might take to update Their their actions on Freya's took them four years from the 2018, so I doubt it will be in 2023. So, but it's a that said, that's a little negative. But that said, that it's that is fantastic. Uh, If that happens, our thanks to the AMA, and we will uh, uh, applaud them loud and often if uh, we can get that done. And we and will. I was going to add that we're we will go through the the blog post carefully, and if if we feel appropriate, we will uh, put together a call to action in support of theirs.
2: The part that has me really concerned about the self-declared free is is that the wording says um, self-declare free is to sponsor sites that meet criteria developed by the administrator in coordination with community-based organizations, and I have a pessimistic view that we would be able to agree with the FAA on requirements for actually being able to self-declare anything as a FRIA. Right. Um, perhaps the AMA would be able to say, oh, yeah, we're going to be able to self-declare these specific f- events we do three times a year, and it'll meet those requirements. But those will be like the only things that'll ever meet those requirements.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Dan the the proof will be in the, uh, I don't, we'll see how, how detailed. They don't even is. have,
3: re- they don't even appear to have requirements internally properly. You know what I mean? Like I, I struggle to see them defining proper criteria. Like what would this process actually look like? I don't know. I just struggle to figure <laughs> out what this working in communication with the administrator to self approve free is. Like I, I struggle to find out what this would be. Meet. This is a wording. is very wide wording, and I I agree. I think I would worry that this will be taken, in, you know, in I don't know what you call it, but they'll just take the wording in, absorb it, and then essentially nothing will change because they'll be giving us a list of exactly what they are using to deny. Maybe it'll just be a little more clear, but that's a pessimistic view. The right. only reason I'm not pessimistic is because we've been working with the FAA and gotten shot down so many times that right. uh, it's, it, it's hard this, to be optimistic. Right?
0: This could be anywhere uh, from they completely delegate the of process to CBOs to nothing changes, and you know, somewhere along that spectrum, uh, or, or this does not get incorporated into the final uh, bill, and so yeah, you know, they're. There are a lot of hurdles on this, but that said, you know, kudos it's, to the AMA for the creation of this amendment. It's it is a uh, it's tangible. Uh, you know, you can look at it. It's written down. It's a good start.
2: Yeah, it's not that hard to send. Uh, Go ahead, blunty
3: Sorry, I was just going to say it's not that hard to send a letter either. So like, it's not the end of the world to say like, hey, we're going to support this or whatever. So we'll right. like we said, we'll look through all of the text and make sure we're good. Uh, right. but and then put out a blast if we feel it's appropriate but again this is not it's not like we're burning a bridge you're trying to do this it's another yeah. something Emails. we can say absolutely. i'm very
2: disappointed i don't see any mention of increasing the registration limit from 250 grams to something higher yeah which obviously if AM... you contacted your congressman and you gave him this information you could add that as well in your own personal right. letter right
0: yeah and it was mentioned in the uh, ama's faq on this topic where they said you know will there be a, a the lower bound uh, raised to one kilogram and the response is no neither the house or the senate wanted to take that up which is very disappointing to us well, um meat has a, a comment on uh discord they see the faa seems to lack uh actual definitions for a large amount of their terms and that is absolutely the case and having worked uh, for several years on the ASTM working committee with members of the uh, rulemaking team from the FAA in the uh, virtual room absolutely the way they w- they want to work and uh, they intentionally uh, steered away from uh, Specific and precise language many 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 times. So yes, ap- that's absolutely the case Give them latitude um, Okay uh, that that was the remote ID. It, uh, I'm exhausted.
2: <laughs> Other questions uh, about remote ID that people might have. Um, there's obviously a lot of people talking about it, a lot of YouTube videos. There's a, some amount of misinformation going around, but not too much. I mean, it, right. it, there's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of complications. People forget that uh, part 107 operations doesn't matter the size and Recreational I'll, operations are slightly different. I right.
0: Think and we part hear of things the... like, it's the law. You're a criminal. No and no. It's a rule. And you can be guilty of a civil violation. So, I
3: yeah, I think one of the hardest things is actually knowing, understanding, like, what the rules are at a time for the person and where you're flying True. and how it's going if you're not, like, absorbed in stuff all the time.
0: That's well said. There was a Blunty, there was a question from the group? Yep.
1: Yeah, I was just curious if like the this remote ID is going to be transmitting some kind of signal. Is that signal have it been, has that been cleared through the FCC?
0: Yes, it has. It's a blue it's a Bluetooth 5 beacon and it also simultaneously uh, will transmit Bluetooth 4. So no issue with the FCC. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just for a little more detail, basically all the devices have to be FCC certified, and then those devices get approved to be mm-hmm. remote ID devices, and then that remote ID uh, transmission is an ASTM approved process, right. which is like right. a, a board that like does these standards so that everybody kind right. of has the same
0: broadcast. Right. Expli- yeah. To be explicit, uh, the uh, Bluetooth uh, broadcast um, transmitters have to be part, part uh, 15 um, approved by the FCC.
2: Yeah, and like Meet's asking, this is a public band? So it's, it's Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, which are signals that uh, your cell phone can detect.
0: Right. There's no, Depending this the is phone. not private or uh, allo- allocated spectrum.
2: Anybody else have other questions and things they're wondering about remote ID?
1: I'm trying to think. X-Jets some of the...
2: asking Are broadcast remote ID units self declared as compliant or is there a government department vetting them?
0: Well, um, it, there is a the FAA, um, the, way that, the way that it works is that the, um, the FAA has approved a means of compliance, with, which is essentially a specification the manufacturer of a standard remote ID aircraft or a uh, remote ID broadcast module has to then uh, comply with the means of compliance which is a specification that includes bench testing and field testing as well as the uh, extensive definition of what uh, what's the message element is or well, how it's transmitted on and on and on for hundreds of pages uh, then the uh, the manufacturer um, declares to the FAA that they have gone through uh, all of the bench testing that it uh, we meet the compliance that it's part um, uh, FCC part compliant. Here is the serial number range, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So it's a all the testing is done by the manufacturer. The FAA then signs off on that in a declaration of compliance. I would really never call that vetting uh, I, I w- It is very close to a rubber stamp by the FAA, which is really very troubling uh, to someone who has spent last two years working carefully to the spirit of, uh, of the rule and trying to create a robust broadcast module only to have uh, any uh, clone uh, that sends in a uh, clone company that sends in a declaration of compliance. Get the uh, get a stamp of approval as well. So let's say so you're you're an unscrupulous process.
2: Chinese company looking to make some money. You could tell the FAA, "Oh yeah, this follows all the rules." Sell it. It could do absolutely nothing close to being correct. You right. could get in trouble because you're flying it, and somebody stops you and like looks at it closer and realizes, "Hey, this isn't isn't well, doing what interestingly, it's
0: the, the good the good news on that is the only individual that would get uh, in trouble is the manufacturer because the manufacturer um, certified in writing with a signature that uh, the their test equipment um, uh, satisfied the requirements. So the FAA would then add, you know so the FAA likes to uh, be responsive to incidents. So if there is an incident, a safety incident in all likelihood, an accident, something someone. Someone was injured, massive property damage, someone was killed, then they'll open an investigation and it will be incumbent on the manufacturer to resolve uh, any issues and potentially uh, update or refresh all of the broadcast modules or um, standard remote ID subsystems in the field.
2: And as has been mentioned quite a few times, there's... Nothing in this signal that prevents anyone from spoofing it or pretending to be somebody else's drone or just broadcasting a random serial number or creating a broadcast of thousands of drones in the area that are all fake. There's, there's nothing the FAA can do to stop that.
0: That's right. And the, you know, would that be a violation of the regulations? Yes. You know, is there... Um... The, the limit of um, tamper resistance is just that. It is yet another vague phrase by, from the FAA um, so that we, we do know that you know, a completely open source uh, solution to remote ID would not be approved. But short of that, uh, uh, there, there is not a lot of protections.
2: Uh, let's see. Shawnee D. was asking if there's any updates on the self-built options for Part 107 flights. Alex replied, no, there's no update. So we can reiterate again, if you build a drone today and you're planning on building that to fly a part 107 operation, you can't satisfy remote ID by buying a module and putting it on there. You have to have a fully standard remote ID compliant drone where your transmitter transmits your location through the drone at all times. And that's extremely difficult or currently impossible for any hobbyist to jump through all those hoops and make that happen.
0: Right Now, there it's, there are ways to get it done. And so there are a number of smaller drone manufacturers across the country who are wrestling with this. And so uh, we've been uh, talking to some of these folks you know, uh, with suggestions, and there's some great... We've been in touch with Betaflight Development and ArduPilot Development. And so there's some great suggestions. It is a non-trivial effort, just as Dan said. So it, 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 you... If you're creating your own, you're building your own DIY drone, it's going to be part 107, it has to be standard remote ID. It is a non-trivial effort. And if you have more questions on that, it's a, a topic we have studied in quite some depth. You know, it would welcome the questions. And the other comment the FAA will do exactly what Homeland Security tells them to. That has been our finding. And that was exactly the example in the um, vertical accuracy of the standard remote ID ground control station. So, the, the location of the operator has a vertical accuracy of 15 feet requirement. That's the tightest GPS uh, location of any vehicle in the world and by by an order of magnitude
2: and that's basically because they want to know if you're flying from the middle of a a building to know exactly which floor you're on right or at least narrow it down pretty close exactly for right
0: which floor
3: uh bitsbytes points out in chat you would need to file a declaration of compliance if you were attempting to do this and you wanted to go through all the hoops and do all the crazy paperwork and stuff to get yourself done you could do all of that, but it would also subject you to the liability that would normally be on the manufacturer, right? Because like we talked doubt. about, because if it, that stuff it, is wrong, you know, that it's on the manufacturer if it's wrong, and now right. it's on you. And,
0: and there's the next step of liability because a um, standard remote ID aircraft is Subpart F, which is a vaguely defined manufacturing and production set of requirements from the FAA, and it's that vagueness that freaks out all of the. Uh, advanced Air Mobility people, when they're trying to get type certification created, and they're, they come up against uh, a, essentially a, a vague set of manufacturing requirements. But uh, Bitsbytes is absolutely correct. So, so there is a lower level of liability with a broadcast module. Uh, it is not uh, subject to a subpart F manufacturing requirements.
2: It's a good thing. Jason on YouTube is asking if there's any idea what the options are for Flight Fest next year, since the field won't be a Freya. They assume. Did uh, Good question. did that come up at all this year during Flight Fest? Oh uh, <laughs> yes.
0: Um, great I, question. I assume uh, the
2: answer is we don't know yet, but they're working on multiple possibilities.
0: Right. Uh, yes that that is exactly right. We don't know. We. Uh, we will work with FDCA and Flight Test uh, to do anything we can to help. Uh, they're working it. Uh, this is a uh, a topic of conversation every time we talk to the FAA. And so this is, so what are you doing about large events? And uh, prior to the issuance of 9157C, the FAA said, we will handle, uh, we are working on a process that will support uh, a free like capability for events, and that will include FPV racing. Then we got 9157C, and it, it explicitly excluded those things. So.
2: Yeah, it was a long time ago they mentioned they were working on something for races, and we've heard nothing they have their, since then.
0: Right. They have their best people working <laughs> on it.
1: Another thing with that is FlightFest is at Fury Airport, which is an airport, uh, it's a private airport, but still an airport nonetheless. Uh, we've also applied for another airport that's local to me where there's flying at. And we're going to see what the FA thinks of free as also being airports, which was will the, be interesting. Was that
2: one rejected yet?
1: It has not been rejected yet, but I think it's next on the list for review.
3: Okay. Yeah. Alex, are those My, uh... already filed as fixed sites? So they have to be fixed sites first if they're in class airspace, right?
1: No, it's uncontrolled airspace. It's a private airport. Oh, it is uncontrolled. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I've got I've got my local AMA club. My uh, local AMA club has exactly the same situation. Our also, flying our flying field is a you know long-term location and it is on a private airport.
1: And also for controlled airspace it does not fixed site is for over 55 pound aircraft a letter of agreement is for controlled airspace but a letter of agreement is not needed for a Fria in controlled airspace right yeah and
0: uh for those of you reading uh, bits Bytes, uh he's got this exactly right manned aircraft are only required to have altimeter accuracy within 15 uh, well, I'm sorry. Within seventy-five feet, as far as he's aware, remote ID is fifteen feet at ninety-five percent confidence for the control station, and one hundred and fifty feet at ninety-five percent confidence for the drone. Yep, absolutely agree.
2: Crazy that little right. tiny drones have to be more accurate with their GPS than a right. and, and course, passengers. It's,
1: it's, yeah, yeah. Wait, fifteen. Right. Hey Dave, yeah. is Mike yes. working now? Yeah, we can. Yes,
3: also, it is. Awesome. I restarted it and it's working now. But hey, Alex, I think you missed this. Uh, I believe this was on Friday day, maybe on Friday. Uh, there was an AMA rejection on an established flying field. They rejected it because there was a gravel road on the private property that led to the field. And the reviewer's comments was that there was a roadway, albeit a private gravel driveway, that led up to
1: the flying field. That was the reason for that rejection. Again, that was on the AMA side.
2: Did did the EMA publicly state that before. somewhere?
1: No, the guy that uh the one of the guys that came through our table
3: talking to us, he showed me his rejection email.
2: Oh, okay.
0: That's right. No roads to your free. Has to be <laughs> on, you have to off-road in. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like bytes has copied in. This looks if I'm this looks like part of the MOC. The means of com- the remote ID means of compliance, which was a, a is ASTM standards 3411 and
2: 3586. Okay. Uh, someone, someone's saying, well, what if the road is gated? That's part of the issue we have with the freer process is they just reject things, and then your free application's done and gone, and you have to submit a new one to even argue that, oh, by the way, like, the road you see on that satellite image either doesn't exist anymore, or it's closed, it's gated, or it's all blocked off when we're having events. Like, they don't even give you an opportunity to... Explain why that's not an issue. They just and reject it
0: part part of the process that we're very frustrated is Normally in a process like this you get some no, you know That won't work and then you can edit what you're working on and you're talking to the same human to try to come to a resolution Uh, So far it's good that appears that we don't go back to a to the beginning of a six-month queue but it's anybody's guess who gets the ROTA and who's going to work on your um, FRIA application. So this is part of the really bad, broken process.
1: As to what Dan was saying, is even the, the Freya applications ask for a primary point of contact to be contacted on the FRIA, and in, any, in all of the denials we've seen, no one has been contacted.
2: Yeah, when you're filling out oh. your application they specifically say who should we contact if we have questions about your free application. Oh, but by the way, we're just going to ignore them, but put right. it in here.
0: And anyway. what 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 they're also ignoring and and one of the other CBOs was explicitly given uh, tips and techniques on how to fill out the free application. Make sure you fill in the you know, the uh, writing, you know, so that they there's, you know, explaining what the you know, what the situation is. And it's been our observation that it, that that is Fre- the FAA frequently ignores any of the writing parts of the Fria application.
1: Again, Very true. Part of a broke, broken process. In the one for the multi-GP chapter that was denied in someone's backyard, we explained that there are races there, and it's held at that location, and it right. was still denied as a not-a-community-flying site. Right. Looks like bits and
0: bytes must be uh, involved in uh, this pretty deeply, having access to the, uh, to the, the specs. OK, that's good. good. And the more people that know the details, the better we can help uh, other folks. Uh, in my own AMA club, I've uh, uh, answered questions. Uh, I made sure I'm at a couple of club meetings and uh, just sat and answered questions. Uh, that's that's helpful most every well a lot of folks on this call you're really knowledgeable and please spread the uh, spread the facts
2: well i think we've Ooh. spent almost an hour now on remote id
0: so and we are over we should we're probably over our...
2: hit our other topics very briefly and uh just point out that we're always available to answer Anybody's questions about Remote ID, whether you send them via email or Discord chat or Facebook or whatever, any anytime you want to ask us questions, we'd be happy to try and answer them the best we can.
0: So why don't we close on the well? How about one of the articles? There was the one article that was uh, about a, a sinkhole. There was a, a young man discovered an overturned car. Let's can see. you? I think
2: I got that one here. So,
0: so Rob Eagle Eye. Picked up on this one instantly.
2: This the one.
0: Let's see if we can, if
2: we can see it. Yeah, it says two people were trapped upside down in a sinkhole and That's water it. was filling their car. A teenager with a drone. With a a teenager with a drone hobby. Okay, so it was a hobbyist yes. recreational flyer saved them. Right. So if you as you scan through the text,
0: the young man is this was flying. Uh, for some uh, period of time. And he's, uh, he flew his drone, and um, you know, the, uh, the sinkhole was about uh, two miles away from uh, uh, where he was uh, located, uh, beyond visual line of sight. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Rob picked up on immediately. So we're hoping that this uh, young man who save who is responsible for saving two people's lives. This is absolutely a drones doing good story. Uh, we wanted to close on it because it is a little little bit of irony. Hopefully he does not get a uh, an infraction for flying beyond uh, beyond line of sight.
2: Although it would not be beyond extended beyond visual line of sight, right? Or EV loss?
0: Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's within two point three miles, and he was you know. Momentarily, you know the uh, the aircraft was out of sight, but you know, there we go. The FAA punishes every good deed. <laughs> All right, anything else around the room? Blunty, Alex, of course. Rob and Dan.
2: Oh, and someone's asking for a link for that. Of course, sure. I've got a link for that that I can share. Okay. Other, we'll have other, to save uh, our. Any- other news items for two weeks from now, and yes. we'll have to wait two more weeks before we can hear all about your experiences at Flight Fest last weekend. And another great. two weeks till we hear more about um, the 2023 reauthorization act, where that's at. Yeah. Although we talked yeah, we'll... a little bit about that with the amendments from the AMA. And
0: we'll yeah, we'll have a we'll have a consolidated view of what we think is a, a good way forward and recommendations for. The FBVFC community. And I, I a hunch it's um, like Blunty said, it's easy enough to send a memo. So chances are we'll be in support. Anything else? Excellent. Thanks for good discussion, good questions, and uh, have a good evening. Take care, yep. everyone. Thanks, everybody. See you in a couple See of weeks. later.